Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Standing by, Graham James, survivor and lawyer. I talked to him yesterday on the show, and I wanted to get him on at least for a few minutes here today. I know, uh, Greg, uh, first of all, good morning, Greg, and thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Oh, good morning, and thanks for having me on again. I know you were on for a couple of minutes with Richard Clucci and Julie Buckingham right after the news conference yesterday. Um, and so maybe react to what Larry said. I'll just tell you, I started the show by saying I believe uh, Chevel Dayoff. Um, and, uh, I, I think, uh, I believe his statement and, and I think that, uh, had he known there was more, he would have done more. Now it doesn't take away from what happened. Um, uh, but that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm hearing from a lot of people out there that feel that way. And then there are many that say, hell no, that's not good enough. So, so go ahead, react to Larry and give me your thoughts. You've slept on it now. Uh, I know you had some concerns right after the news conference yesterday. Where are you at? Yeah, no one is saying that Cheveldeoff is a bad person or that Mark Chipman is a bad person, but I think that we have to put everything in a broader context. First, we're very early on. We only have uh, the evidence from the report prepared uh, by a firm hired by the team. No legal investigation, no subpoenas, no testimony under oath, no compelled document reveal. We're very early on. Um, does Shovel Dayoff come across as credible with respect to what he knew? Absolutely. But let's, let's leave aside what he knew in 2010. My real problem with Shovel Dayoff and what he did is in 2020 and 2021, Shovel Dayoff was aware that something serious enough happened back in 2010 that he was a part of a meeting in the midst of the Stanley Cup playoffs with all of that senior management group. So something bad happened. He may not know exactly what happened, but something bad happened. Shevel Dayoff has been a hockey executive charged with knowing all the players and all the prospects in the league for the past decade plus. The Chicago Blackhawks thought highly enough of Kyle Beach to spend a first-round draft pick, 11th overall, on Kyle Beach. Um, you would have thought that a hockey executive would have said, hey, whatever happened to the 11th overall pick? And, it, it, whoa, was that the guy, the, the abuse situation? And you just would have thought there would have been more investigation on an ongoing basis but let's fast forward to 2020 2021 when the litigation comes out and it becomes known the details of what happened back then the chicago blackhawks tell the league there's nothing to see here that they've conducted their own investigation the chicago blackhawks lawyer are telling the victim kyle beach that there's nothing to his claim he's not being believed He's likely distraught, and word leaks out to the media, and they start asking questions. And what does Dayoff do then? Does he think of what's the right thing to do, tell the full truth, help the victim by validating and confirming that something serious happened? No. He turtles. He lawyers up. He tells a lie by omission. He only says that he found out about allegations just before the abuser left the organization. He didn't really know much about it. That's a lie by omission. He knew that something serious enough happened that a meeting of the senior management group of the Chicago Blackhawks was called in the playoffs. And if Shevel Dayoff, when asked by the media, when the litigation came out, had said that, it would have validated the claim 
and it would have put the heat on the Blackhawks. And what happened last week would have happened months sooner when it should have happened in the first place. Shevel Dayoff gave the hockey executives in the Blackhawk organization cover. He allowed Quenville months to try to make this go away. Bowman, months to stay in position of power. He did not show the leadership we should expect of a senior NHL executive and the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. You also, uh, yesterday with Richard and Julie, said you weren't happy with the form of the apology. Um, you, you didn't like the way it, uh, and I uh, just, again, state your feelings on that for people that missed that, because um, I, it, it, he did say, I'm sorry, but he didn't say it the right way for you and for many people out there. Saying I'm sorry for my assumptions, being wrong in my assumptions, and I'm sorry for what Kyle had to go through is not Kyle. I'm sorry for not having stood up for you when I should have back then. And it may be a nuance and it may be the lawyer in me, but words have meanings. And the NHL and Bettman uh, and Sheveldayoff and even Mark Chipman yesterday, everyone is emotional about this and everyone is trying to do the right thing. And all of them are getting legal advice and no one is apologizing directly for what they did or didn't do to Kyle Beach. And I'm sure if you were to interview Kyle Beach and or his lawyer, they would be saying exactly what I'm saying to you. Nice try. Making yourself uh, look like you're apologizing when you're not apologizing. It didn't get to the heart of the matter. Yeah, it's like somebody you're having an argument with. It's like saying, I'm sorry you feel that way, right? You're not really sorry uh, for the, the cause of the argument if you were to blame. I, I get what you're saying. Um, but, but, and how so let, me, let me jump in here. In, in Sheveldayoff's defense, two things. It's very difficult to know what Sheveldayoff did or didn't know, but I would say it's absolutely easy to know what he should have done in follow-up, and, and I think he fell down there. Um, but if Sheveldayoff uh, believes in his heart of heart that he did no wrong, no one wants to compel someone to apologize when they don't believe that they did anything wrong. And right. so what I would say is I just disagree with Shevel Dev. I think he did mm-hmm. wrong, and, and I think he deserves to be sanctioned. Yeah, and and that's what I said to somebody, too, uh, as I was making my point in a conversation yesterday. I, I said I, I kind of understand that, the way he apologized, because if i don't feel like i did anything wrong and i'm taking shovel day off at his word why am i why am i apologizing but the most important thing is kyle beach and that's why i think the apology could have been better and that's why all through this i think more should have been done you're a, you're a graham james survivor how important is hearing that i'm sorry in the right way well, it's very important, and again, this is this is the problem I have with Shevel Dayoff. The media, the answers he gave to the media this year, it would would have just been soul destroying to the victim, because you want your experience validated, you want to be believed, you don't want people where they could be human acting like lawyers or giving lawyers legal answers, and. That, that's the crushing thing about abuse, right? Is it, it leaves you with a, a feeling that you don't exist, that you are as a nobody, as I, I chose the title of my book, that there's been a rip in the social fabric to the point where, where y- y- you've fallen through the cracks and people haven't protected you. And I can only imagine 
that Cheveldea thought he was doing the right thing. He didn't want to rat out the Joel Quinville saying in a meeting that he wanted things put off until the end of the playoffs so as not to distract the team. He didn't want to relay that the people in that meeting really kind of sort of wanted this just to be dealt with outside the hockey room and they'll get to it down the road. But in, in, in wanting to do the right thing in hockey culture and follow the code and look after the logo on the front, he forgot very much that there was a player in his organization who has a name and is a real person. And, and that's where he fell down. And he didn't fall down in that meeting. You know, say he's the junior person and didn't really know what went on. He fell down while he was general manager of the Winnipeg Jets protecting the hockey guys and not thinking of the victim first. And that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. I started my show with this today, and right away I had text messages and emails coming in from people saying, oh, enough already, move on to something else. But I've said a couple times now, I think this is an important conversation, and I'm going to keep having it with people like you uh, and anybody else who want uh, the, the people at clinic that, who weren't available today. I asked them if they could come on to talk about this, because I think we have to talk about it in hopes of preventing stuff like this happening Again, um, what about uh, Shovel Day Off staying with the Jets? Uh, let's just assume that you know this uh, calms down, things calm down. He continues to be the general manager. I would argue that he can do more good for this issue as the GM of the Winnipeg Jets than if he was gone, like everybody else that was in that room that day. Well, I have two responses. A, absolutely right, and B. I'm sure that Graham James is probably best positioned to advise as to how to avoid being sexually abused by a sexual predator. Um, I'm not trying to equate Shovel Day off with Graham James, but I'm saying that you can carry that logic uh, to its extreme to say that, you know, someone who's made a mistake will be best positioned to do the right thing on a go forward basis. And, And that is absolutely true. And out of all of this bad will come some good. But at the same time, again, focus on the victim. What message are we sending to the victim? that Shevel Dayoff gets to keep his plush job in the NHL with no repercussions simply because he's now positioned to do good on a go-forward basis. Mm-hmm. There are lots of people who didn't make the mistake that Shevel Dayoff did who could do good on a go-forward basis in that position. And that's what I'm getting at when I bring up the Graham James analogy. That yeah. just because you've gone through something bad and made the mistake doesn't make you the ideal person to carry the message going forward. Right. Hey, Greg, thanks for always reminding us, and you just did it again now, always reminding us that the most important thing here is Kyle Beach and the survivors of sexual assault. That's the most important thing here. We can't forget that ever. Well, I I thank you for that. And and again, look, Shevel Dayoff is a good man. Mark Chipman is a good man. But... As you say, right now the focus needs to be on Kyle Beach, and I think it's wonderful that the Winnipeg Jets are going to go forward and do all of those good things. But let's look after Kyle Beach first. The rest of that can follow. Look, anytime you have a press conference where Sheldon Kennedy's name is mentioned 10 times, that can only be a good thing on a go-forward basis. But there's a time and a place for everything. That meeting yesterday, that press conference should have been about What's happening to Kyle Beach? What happened? Who served him? Who didn't? And is Kevin Dayoff best positioned to be the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets after what he didn't do back then and what he did do recently in his comments to the media? Greg, I really appreciate your help over the past uh, couple of days on this, couple of weeks actually on this especially, but we'll talk again soon. Thank you.
Thanks very much for having me on. I am the first premier, female premier of Manitoba. I feel I am the first female Métis premier of Manitoba. Shelley Glover. Of course, Heather Stephenson was sworn in yesterday as Manitoba's first woman premier, but Shelley Glover believes the position should be hers. In fact, to the point where uh, she's taking it to court. And Shelley Glover's lawyer joins us on the phone now, Dave Hill from Hill Sikulski Walsh. Dave, good morning. Good morning. So um, yesterday, Shelley was uh, on our air explaining her position, and I'll I'll put it this way, and then you tell me if I've got it right. Uh, she says a 402 mystery ballot showed up in the final count on Saturday, giving Stephenson the victory. Early that morning, before the votes were counted, Glover says her campaign leadership received an email from the party saying there would be a total of 16,045 ballots counted. However, when the totals were announced, there were 402 new ballots. The party gave the win to Stephenson with 8,402 votes. Glover was a close second with 8,042. That totals 16,447, not the 16,045 that was in that email uh, to Glover's people very early on Saturday morning. Is that the basis here of, of your case? Yes. And that's so exact, that's exactly the material that's been put before the court. And uh, it's going to be heard tomorrow. I'm not. Well, the first appearance is going to be heard, but I, I, the issue won't be determined tomorrow um, because it's just been filed now, and um, the uh, party will be filing affidavit in response. And there's also an affidavit from a scrutineer in this case too, right? Yeah, a gentleman named Kevin Cook. And what does he say happened? What What's his story? Well, do you have his affidavit? Uh, I don't have it in front of me, no. So just uh, tell me in your own words, if you don't mind. He was a scrutineer. He was inside the room. Um, he talks about how it appeared. It, was, it seemed that the votes were in Shelley's favor. And then uh, an hour and a half or whatever later, uh, this number of votes didn't coincide with um, what initially sorry what initially her campaign had been told on the on the friday night early saturday morning Mm -hmm. and so uh, what what's we've talked to many political scientists who say listen the tory party is is much like a club uh they don't really uh in the uh, the wording of this leadership race there's there's nothing mentioned there about uh, an appeal of the results or anything. So what is your hope legally uh, with this? What, what do you hope happens, and, and what would you expect a judge to do? Well, I'll leave what we expect the judge to do to the time for argument, but there is a case from 2018 where a challenge was made against the PC Party of Ontario where the court uh, said that uh, for voluntary associations like that, still the court can make certain decisions depending on what happens internally. So it's it's not our legal position that uh, the court has no jurisdiction. In fact, we're relying on that case to say that the court has the jurisdiction to make the decision that we're asking. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, uh, I mean, this all happened very quickly. Stephenson was sworn in yesterday. She is officially, the party says, and and she has now been sworn in as the next premier of the province of Manitoba. And, and so, uh, I mean, would you want to see her, if you win this challenge in, in court, uh, do you think there's a chance 
uh, that 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 would somehow be reversed? I, I I just can't imagine that happening. But you tell me, you're the lawyer. Well, it's it's a novel situation. Um, but if the court were to give the declaration that the there were what they call irregularities that were calculated to affect the result, then um, and therefore declare the vote invalid, um, we would hope that the PC party would uh, do the right thing mm-hmm. and hold another leadership vote. And hold another leadership vote. But, you know, I, I as an observer, just as a, a media person watching this, uh, I, I almost wish that there had been that delay that was called for, right? Like, let's hold off, let's make sure we get all the votes in, and and that did not happen, and now this is, uh, I mean, this is a mess. It's unusual, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, but, David, listen. You're I, quite right that, uh, I mean, the, the, the lieutenant governor did what she's entitled to do. Um, our case isn't against the lieutenant governor by any means or any stretch of imagination. It's against the PC party, and the declaration we're seeking is that the election, as other elections in, in some cases have been held, was invalid. All right, Dave, we'll follow. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. All right, David Hill is a lawyer at Hill, Sokolsky, Walsh. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, 204-780-6868 or hal at cgob.com. Um, I, many of you have said, boy, Shelley Glover's sounding a lot like, uh, about a lot like Trump, you know, um, if what she says is true and I'll leave that to the judge and, and for you to decide, but if in fact, 402 mystery ballots showed up now, maybe the email that was sent before the votes were counted, maybe there was an incorrect number in there. There are many things that could be possible here. Uh, but you can understand if, in fact, that if the story that Shelley Glover is is telling uh, is factual, and I have no reason not to believe that it is, um, then you would understand her concern. I think, or uh, is she out to lunch on this? And uh, you know, should she just say, "Hey, congrats, Heather Stephenson, and and let's move on," which is usually what happens with these leaders, even you know. Um, leadership contests where people don't like each other in the end they come together but Shelley Glover feels like something wrong happened here and she's hired David Hill lawyer at Hill Sikulski Walsh and a judge will start hearing the case the arguments uh, tomorrow I mean not going to be settled anytime soon I don't imagine could get tossed out right away Fifty three percent of women, but only about thirty three percent of men bring this when traveling. What is it? Fifty three percent of women, but only a third of men. Thirty three percent of men. Fifty three percent of women. Thirty three percent of men take this with them when traveling. What is it? Two oh four seven eighty sixty eight sixty eight. You get to pick the prize. I'll give you a quick hint. I used to have one of these named after me. There you go. That should be easy for some of you, anyhow. 204-780-6868. So it's the uh, final week of Parade of Homes, and I've been wanting to have Josh on for a long time. Josh Friesen is the co-owner of Duick Builders. Josh, good morning. Hey, good morning, Hal. I thought it was a good time uh, as Parade of Homes wraps up. Uh, you at Duick uh, are basically uh, a home builder that builds sustainable homes. Explain. 
Yeah. So what we uh, what we like to say is that we pride ourselves in making sustainable easy. Um, so we ask our customers what sustainable means to them. And from there, we design around, you know, is it energy efficiency? Is it a reduced carbon footprint? Is it reduced cost of ownership? You know, we we walk through all those questions and that's and that's what sustainable means to us in a nutshell. Yeah. And it means different things to different people, right? People have different priorities. But this is a real trend in home building. People are saying, if I'm going to spend all this money building a home, I'm going to make it sustainable or at least as sustainable as possible, right? Exactly. And, and lots, of these, lots of these energy efficiency upgrades, um, you know, they, they pay off uh, about the time you're, you're locked in rate on your mortgage end. So, they're, you know, we're looking at five to ten year payoffs. For, for a lot of these energy efficiency upgrades. And if you're going to live in your house for 25 years and it's going to stand for 100, I mean, it's, it's uh, some of that's a no-brainer. And I think, too, with climate change, uh, you know, really at the forefront now, um, people, when they are saying, yeah, okay, we're going we're gonna to build a home, uh, they want to do their part. And as you said, uh, in many cases, and certainly over time in all cases, this makes financial sense, too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, you know that's a good point too. We're uh, we're more and more realizing uh, that that we can have some control over over for sure our emissions and and what we use of our resources. Um, and and housing is uh, I mean everyone everyone needs a house, and so it's a great place to start. And you know um, the technology advances quickly, right? Like geothermal. Some people, you know, have just heard that recently and and going, oh, geothermal is kind of cool. Uh, but I know that you guys have an option that's even better than that, and it does the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's the fun of being in this industry. The technology moves so quick, um, and and while it's new here, it's not always new everywhere. A, a lot of the heat source options that we we look at um, are are proven and tested in in other countries, uh, and and they're gaining traction here. Uh, and it's the same technology that's in your fridge. So what we like to use uh, on on a private home basis, where where a geothermal unit might not quite make sense, um, is is an air to air heat pump. So it's the same technology as your fridge. It's just a more efficient way of using hydroelectricity to to heat and cool your house uh, rather than gas, which has which has quite a carbon footprint penalty. Mm-hmm. A lot of people coming to you wanting to build a, a more sustainable home. Uh, talk to me about gray water systems. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. Um, we've been chatting with the city on gray water systems. What gray water systems do is when is when you use uh, hand, water to wash your hands uh, or or you shower with the water, it, it goes down the drain and it gets collected and reused uh, to flush your toilet. So instead of that water going straight down the drain and then happen to be treated at, at the, you know, the Winnipeg treatment plants, uh, there's, there's ways to save, you know, 50, 60 percent of your water and reuse it with, with minimal effort inside your own house. Um, so we're working uh, really hard to try to get that uh, approved for use here in Winnipeg. And maybe it doesn't cost more up front. I assume some of this stuff may cost more up front, but over the life of the home, it makes sense. Is that a hard sell, or are people coming to you saying, we want this? Well, you know, that's that's been changing. It's, um, it, 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 it's definitely a view that people have, um, but, but the way we like to, we like to flip the coin a little bit. So we get all of our houses modeled by a third-party uh, company. 
Um, and, and what they do is they certify that had someone built a code-built house rather than our house, they would have paid 80 to 90% more in utilities. Um, so we often say, you know, yeah, you know, your mortgage might be a little bit bigger, but when you're paying less on your utilities and all that stuff, your total cost of ownership on your home over the 15 years, 25 years you own it is, is way less. And if you're putting the money out to buy a home, it might be easier to budget it, do it uh, at that point, do it in a more sustainable way, add it to your mortgage, and rather than, as you point out, paying a lot more for utilities over that 15, 20 years or however long you live in the house. Yeah, and, and I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen what the utilities are doing too. I mean, that that right. difference and that predictability of your of your utilities and your month to month payments is just going to be uh, even more advantageous in, in a sustainable house and a greenhouse than than it is in uh, in a standard house. I mentioned at the end of the start to Greg Mackling that I was uh, going to have you on today, and he follows you on social media as I do. And, and you guys really at, at Do It Builders, you really are a, a cool follow, and, and I would encourage people to uh, to go and follow uh, Do It Builders on social media, on Instagram for sure. I, I'm not sure if you're on Twitter and Facebook. I assume you're on Facebook too, eh? Yeah, we are on Facebook. We're not on Twitter yet. Uh, I'm personally on it, but uh, I don't do much yeah. advertising on Twitter. Right, got you. Hey, and before I let you go, you were telling me while we were setting up this interview, you were saying that you're at the point now at Duick where uh, you can actually, even before permits are in place, you can, uh, using virtual reality, so you put goggles on the future homeowner, and you can walk them through their home even before the permits have been pulled. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited about that. We've been having a lot of fun with it, trying out the headset and using it here. But, yeah, so basically what we're able to do is um, it, we're a one-stop shop. So you come to us, and we design your house, and we build it. We walk we walk through it with you as a team, and we get that design done right. And so what we're able to do is, is we're able to draw up your house, your renovation, you know, whatever it is, and we're able to actually put you in the space through these virtual reality goggles before we even apply for permits and break ground. So it's a lot of fun hmm. to be able to see your project before uh, before the work begins. No kidding. Hey, Josh, I'm glad I finally was able to get you on the air here, and uh, you're doing great stuff over there at Duick, and, and this is huge. I mean, more and more people... Uh, when they're looking to, uh, well, even, you know, doing improvements on their exist- existing home, but when they're looking to build a new home, uh, they're wanting to do it, keeping the environment in mind. And so I appreciate you telling us a bit about it. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time, Hal. Always a pleasure. Yes, Josh Friesen, co-owner of Duick Builders, building a sustainable home. Let's find out who got the tough trivia question right. Jeff Forche, who got it right? The first caller was Kevin. Kevin got it first right. First caller, Kevin. And what did Kevin take? Which prize? He took the landmark cinema passes. The correct answer to the tough trivia question, 53% of women, but only 33% of men bring this when traveling. First caller got it right, a pillow. Remember the Hal Anderson pillow? I do. I do. 